Hello, and welcome to The Coach's Corner, sponsored by Calibrated Physical Therapy. We are on a mission to help 100,000 youth volleyball athletes avoid injuries before 2030. The best way we can do this is educate the people who have the most contact with youth volleyball athletes, and that's the coach. Please know that the information in this discussion is for educational purposes only. It is not a diagnosis or treatment. You are advised to seek medical attention if you are having pain or need further examination. Thank you for listening and helping all of us at Calibrated Physical Therapy to help reach our goal and keep these kids safe. Hey everyone, what's up? I'm Dr. Ashley Schramm. I'm a physical therapist and your volleyball movement expert. I'm super excited about my guest today. Uh, She's a good friend of mine. We went to PT school together and she very much so knows the topic. So we're going to be talking all about the ACL today, and I would like to have Dr. Ami introduce herself. Go ahead and hit us up with your details, Dr. Ami. Sweet. So my name is Dr. Ami Schutz. I always just go by Ami, so I'm cool with that. Um, I've been practicing for basically just as long as Ashley, so a little bit over eight years. My primary practice has been in the orthopedic field, so your, your, post, like your post-op surgeries, knee surgery, shoulder surgery, people of all ages, kind of like basically like eight and up. I don't work with a ton of young children, um, but weekend warriors of all ages, athletes of all ages, my specialty is in hands-on or manual therapy, so a lot of the spine, but I definitely have a special uh, passion for basically sports and my young athletes as I've been there once upon a time. Yeah, so me, you have a really nice history for this topic, which is a big reason why I wanted you to come on and be my guest, because you're going to be able to tap into the athletic mindset a little bit more, which has been a theme that I try to run in through these, for these coaches that I aim that listen to this podcast, you know, my volleyball coaches corner, I hope coaches are listening to this and really getting some insight about how athletes are when they return to sport and some easy things that the coach can do to help inspire um, their athlete to get back on the court. I mean, coming back from an injury is hard. And um, I kind of want you to talk about your ACL history, if you don't mind sharing that with us, because you are the only person that I know that's had multiple ACL surgeries. Um, not just one. So I think that that mindset is way different than just one. And it's hard coming back from any type of surgery, especially an ACL surgery, which you're off the court. I mean, you're out of sport for close to a year uh, most of the time. So it takes a lot to come back and be an athlete again, and you are. So if you could just kind of give some of your history with your ACL, and we can kind of go from there. But I would like you to do that if that's possible. Yeah, not a problem. Forgive me if I get a little bit over specific. I'll try not to ramble, but I've had, like Ashley said, I've had two ACL surgeries. One, um, basically, it was the final game of my high school career and tore my ACL. So I had a hamstring. I had a first surgery, hamstring autograft, autograft being your own tendon versus allograft is cadavers. Uh, Quick plug if you are a young athlete, go for an autograft because that that type of ACL surgery, that graft is going to be much stronger and hold out for a bit longer than, well, a bit much longer than the allograft or cadaver. So um, after my, yes, autograft your own tendon. So typically stronger heals faster as well. Um, First one, I've returned to full competitive play. Yeah, I returned to full competitive play soccer. I was a little bit slower in the beginning, but I mean, you hadn't played for like six to however many months. So there's always going to be that little bit of learning curve. If anything, my footwork got better because I learned I couldn't just outrun everybody. But um, then I had a second surgery, probably about, oh, like five, five or so years later, Uh, same knee. Uh, Basically what it came down to is the surgeon who did my surgery sports was not his like primary specialty. So when he did my graft, he didn't do it in an anatomical alignment, which we'll hit on, I know a little bit later, very loosely. But so um, part of what the ACL is supposed to control is a little bit of rotation, that pivoting control. And my graft, my uh, 
autograph failed in that regard. So my second one, um, I basically went for a jump, landed, and I had an awkward little twisting sensation, and I'd lost the rotational stability. So the second time around, because I was also in physical therapy school, slightly inconvenient time to have an ACL surgery as no, no, uh, no clinical is overly enthused to have a uh, student basically that some crutches and a brace. So um, I went for the allograft because I'd heard it was a like long and short of it is like faster recovery time and like what it takes to be like perceived pain and function. What I didn't ask was, will I be able to play again? And because of the way my first surgery was done, um, no, I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to return to play at least the way that I wanted to. And part of being an athlete is the mentality of it. And knowing that when you go to do things, like you don't have to think about it. Your body does it because it's just reflex. And the way that my body was reflexively doing it wasn't cutting it. So I didn't go back to soccer, but I did go back to running. I've been competing for the last three years in lightweight strongman. Um, competitions so I mean the only thing I really can't do is like basically like sprinting on like a, a like a turn otherwise like sprinting forward sprinting backwards sprinting diagonal lifting over 500 pounds like fine I can still do it but yeah. that's a little bit of my that's a little bit of mine well I think that you have two perspectives that'll be really nice you have a perspective of returning to high-level athleticism as a sport-specific soccer player, which is how you identified at this first injury, right? Like, that's something that Absolutely. you definitely were. You were a soccer player. And then the second one was kind of a whole, you have to shift your personality. You had to shift your identity a little bit um, as an athlete and become, you're still an athlete but you have an athlete in a different way, in a whole different sport, in a, in a whole different demand through your body. Like you're no longer um, an, a soccer player, right? You, yep. you're, you're a different type of athlete. So your whole mindset had to shift and your whole identity had to shift, which I think is underappreciated um, in sports and from coaches. So I, I mean, that alone is going to be a great comment to hear your perspective and, and how that people can encourage um, these athletes that are coming back from these type of injuries or even like coaches that you know that this athlete's not coming back to your sport because they're not capable of it safely without risking, you know, really damaging themselves. What can you say to them to keep them from getting super depressed and things like, you know, it, it is a loss of identity. So it's kind of cool mm -hmm. to have you on here because you've had that perspective. But I'm going to back up a little bit and we're going to take it to the basics. Like, what the heck is an ACL? What does that even mean? Can you kind of explain some of that to us? Yeah, without getting like overly anatomical, your ACL is one of those big stabilizing ligaments in your knee. So you have, in terms of like loose anatomy, think about, so picture your knee as a donut and then picture the donut hole as part of the center of the knee, right? So that's basically where the AC, ACL anterior cruciate ligament runs. So you have the thigh bone, which is the femur coming down from the top, and then you have the shin bone, which is the tibia on the bottom. And basically, if this is the donut hole, your ACL runs from kind of like back outside of the donut hole to diagonally down to kind of front and medial, front and inside on the tibia. So kind of diagonally forward is where it runs. So it prevents basically your tibia from coming forward on your uh, femur. And it prevents again, that rotational, it, it contributes to that rotational stability, which is key for um, basically pivoting rotational movements. And then translation comes to your powerful, like forward stopping mo movements and then forward to backwards. Right. So pretty much every movement that you're going to do in sports in general, like unless you are a um, short. Unless you're standing in place. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're standing in place or you sprint just straight, even if you sprint, you're still going to have a whole lot of rotational control. So it's pretty mm -hmm. much every sport um, that's out there. So who is more likely to have, um, or like, who's more likely to have ACL injuries? Is it females or males or are they pretty close? 
So long and short of it is, there's been tons of studies on this, is female athletes are more common. So some studies will say rates of four to six times higher, but it does also depend on your, it does also depend on your age. So for females, it's more common, kind of like that 14 to 18 time frame, 14 to 18 years old being exactly. And then males are, I want to say it's 19 to uh, 19 to 25 is basically where boys are 19 to 25. Exactly. So girls are high school, boys are college lucky yes <laughs> either way <laughs> the big thing of it is that do like boys basically as they get older their chances of an acl tear that's going to cause surgery actually like stabilizes women's actually increases or wow. stays about the same there is no decrease in incidence it basically just gets a little bit risky as time continues okay and is there a reason why females are more likely to have these kind of ACL injuries as compared to males? Is there something in our anatomy or is it just, it just is like women are more likely to have everything compared to a men most of the times when you read this research, like, Oh, great. Like I'm a girl. So I'm more right. likely to have this. So the, the short answer to that is there's tons of variables that they're doing studies on. Um, the big ones that they've the big ones that they've been looking at are basically our hip angle in terms of women just have wider hips so when we talk about hip control most guys just have naturally more inherent like hip stability their hips naturally are stronger whereas your female athletes we are monsters in the quads and hamstrings or mostly monsters in the quads but for that hamstring for those hips like these they don't they don't proportionally grow with our quads and that muscle imbalance tends to contribute to it to it a lot because you do see it more pronounced especially in my younger female athletes versus my uh versus my males and then there's some there's some that are being done on uh hormones but i won't specifically go into that as to but they are doing studies to see just like estrogen in general that would be a great, I, I can't wait till some more studies come out on female hormones and how they play into um, our ligament stability. But I'm going to back up a little bit and say quads being the muscles that are on the front of the thigh, hamstrings yes. being the muscles that are on the back of the thigh, yes. and then hip stability factors like your glutes. Those are all in, up in your buttocks and close to your pockets of, if you have on a pair of pants, just so people know kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, um, sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's perfect. It's fine. It's, <laughs> it's totally fine. So we have more females are quad dominant or the front of their thigh muscles tend mm-hmm. to use the explosion in power um, versus the hamstrings back to side, which creates an imbalance. So a lot of this stuff that we're talking about is because there is an imbalance somewhere in the athlete that allows them to have a change. But in a lot of time it's accidents, right? Like how do ACL injuries occur? What's the most common thing that says, man, if we get put in this position, likelihood of having an injury to your ACL is pretty high. Honest, so most people would think that it's contact injuries that would be the highest, right? Like you're jumping, you take an unexpected bump or in soccer, you take a tackle. Like, so you actually have like a good story to go along with it. No, it's mostly deceleration or landing from jumps. So landing from jumps, especially if you land and like the knee kind of buckles inwards, which we call like a valgus moment when you come become a little bit knock-kneed. Most of us don't think about it when it happens and we've never had training for it, but females have a higher incidence of just poor kind of jumping and landing mechanics with that. And then deceleration being like, I'm sprinting for a ball or sprinting to get something. And then I decelerate to basically get control and make my play. And because of that muscle imbalance between the front thigh muscle of the quadriceps and the hamstrings and the glutes, I basically, my quad overpowers and that, that stabilizing kind of anterior to posterior of the tibia is, Front to back. it's just too much. Yeah. So it's, it's non-contact injuries a lot of the time. Yes. Foot, foot planted non-contact injuries, right? When the foot comes back down and touches the ground, whether it's from a land or from a big deceleration step or slowing yourself down from a sprint to change direction or get yes. stabilization or, or get control for the moment before you pass or set. Um, that typically you see that ACL will be injured. 
Exactly. It's very rarely when it's very rarely when the foot is not planted. Like it's mostly in that case is like traumatic, like their foot is pinned as they're landing or excuse me, pinned in like the air or something like that. It's yeah. mostly exactly as Trump said, foot's on the ground, something happens. Yeah. I, uh, gives me like, I got goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> Still get goosebumps thinking about mine. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's do that. Let's talk about um, you kind of told us your own injuries, you, you know, high school and then college, which is kind of funny because you said it, like females are more likely to injure their ACLs in high school, and then your incidence doesn't drop even though you go into college like males do. So you had another incident in college, when you were at university, and so let's talk about your first injury because it was your last game, but you were still going in to play, to play soccer in college, correct? Was that um, your goal? Uh, I wanted to play, I wanted to play for the club team, like in, in intramurals, but I was yep. temporarily done with like the competitive mindset just because yeah. I wanted to actually experience a little bit more of life. But, um, yeah. I had full intention of, I wanted to find a club soccer team within the area. Yeah. And you wanted to play at a competitive level. You want to play at a competitive level. You don't want to yes. play with people who have never played before. You've had lots of experience. Exactly. So let's talk about kind of where your brain was during that initial phase of the injury, if you remember, and kind of throughout rehab back to returning. And this is even better because if you're a, a club athlete, you don't really have a whole lot of resources outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. So kind of talk us through what your thoughts were and, and some things that were discouraging to you, like really got you down and some things that, that you think, okay, if this was super encouraging and I think this would be very encouraging for other people to do for these athletes? So number one, don't tell your athlete that everything happens for a reason, because that is the last thing that people want to hear. That is one of the first things that um, sometimes coaches or your parents tend to say, like, sometimes stuff just happens and you got to roll with it. How you deal with it defines you on the end of it. So allow yourself a little time to mope because yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a game changer in the beginning. My identity was solely like soccer player. And then this happened and I was like, I can't even run. Okay, where do I go from here? So right. rehab, the biggest thing in the beginning and kind of throughout is be patient. So healing is a process and you cannot speed up biology. So that mentality of, well, if I did it, if I did it once or twice and it's good for me, then if I do it four or five times, or if they tell me to do like 20 repetitions, you know what? I'll do 80. No, <laughs> don't do that. So to stick with yeah. what the beginning phases are very much just regain range of motion, like regaining basic knee bend and straightening, regain strength of the general muscles in your leg, but start small because your knee is still healing. And for me, that was a big thing for my, for my therapist to be like, hey, you've been on this, you've been on this, whatever she put me on for like eight minutes. You should have been done five minutes ago. What are you doing? <laughs> because I triggered my own like bad days and increased swelling, which slowed me down. So yeah. be so what, what is something the that, what is something that uh, your coach or your friends and family could have said to you during that early phase that you think would be helpful, right? Like what is something that yeah. they could say to help encourage you to, to pause a little bit and slow down? Because as an athlete, you are trying to push and drive in, and more is always better. And if I can just be faster than the person next to me, I'm going to be better. But how can, how can your family and friends and coaches and teammates even reach out to encourage you and say, hey, you know, like, how are you? It's honestly just that simple it's the it's the hey how are you because most athletes in the beginning when this happens we're we're very isolated from our team right we're not going to practices we're not going to tournaments so we're not seeing you guys in the frequency that we used to so it's even just that phone call of hey how's rehab going hey we're looking forward to getting like we're looking forward to getting you back but um just let just let the athlete talk in, in that circumstance, because that, that mental recovery is just as important as the physical part yeah, of it. Yeah, I think so that's a part that gets missed. Yes. So it's not, there's not specific catchphrases that you can say to make your athlete feel better about it. Cause long and short of it is they already feel terrible about it, 
but just make them feel like they are still part of the team, even though they're not competing. I want to stop you for one second. That's huge that you just said. Make them feel like they are still part of your team. Whatever that may be for you and your team and your team dynamics, let them know that you still care about them. Like they're still integral to your team. You still want to see them come back and play. That right there is huge. That comment I think is huge that a lot of people get overlooked because we get stuck in our own daily grind, right? Like not mm -hmm. right in front of you all the time. And that athlete is sitting at home, isolated. They can't do anything. They're really having an identity crisis at this point in time and just reaching out and saying, Hey, how are you? And just, that's it. Don't say anything else. Like, Hey, how are you? Yep. You know? Let them talk. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's fantastic. I think, I mean, that's, I just wish, I wish that happened a lot more. Um, and as a rehab professional, right? Like as a PT, you're always championing them in the clinic. You're, hey, you got this, you got this, you got this, but they're in there for what, an hour, maybe 30 minutes to an hour, a couple right. days a week. Like we can champion them, but that friends, family, coaches, teammates on the back end are, are so valuable to that mentality and their success uh, during the rehab process because it's easy to give up. It is very easy to give up in those moments um, post-surgery. I mean, those early months are hard. They are hard physically. They are hard mentally. I just, I think that statement is so powerful in me. Thank you. Like, it's, it's also better. the motivational aspect. So studies have shown that basically a young athlete being motivated in all parts and all phases of their rehab is huge because there's a huge number of athletes that look at the exercises that are given to them and basically are like, I don't understand what the purpose of this is. So even as a coach or as a friend to be like, hey, you doing your exercises just to throw it in there. Like, don't ask them specifics. You don't have to ask them, like, what they're doing. But just be, just, just to even throw, so, okay, I lied. There is, like, one little thing. Like, to ask them, hey, are you doing your, like, how's your stuff going? Just so it's in the back of their mind. Because as a young athlete, like, I remember looking at those exercises and being like, I don't, like I'm just going to go walk for an hour. <laughs> don't that do the same thing? No. Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't. So keeping motivated in all the boring parts of your rehab important too. Yes. I, oh, that's so perfect. I'm so, yeah, I'm glad. I'm so pumped that you were my guest today because that's the insight that I think a lot of these coaches need to hear to help my mission of preventing um, a lot of youth athletes, prevent a lot of overuse injuries and prevent re-injuries and mentality. Yes. I want to keep people in the sport. So it's just because you got an ACL repair does not mean you can't come back. Um, so let's talk about let's like jump forward to now you're released from physical therapy or you're, you're kind of like in physical therapy, but not a whole lot. You're mostly out on your own doing things and you're coming back in. You just, you left, you left your high school, you moved across the country to go to a different state to school. Like you're, you're on your own. It's, it's you in your own brain. And let's talk about kind of where your head was to get back to playing at that point in time. So the biggest things were, Number one, make, making sure that I'd actually like regained my conditioning overall. So starting having the fortitude and the mental presence to, the first time they released me to running, not go run two miles because you literally haven't run in six months. Like you got to keep it small because the first time I went and ran two miles, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything for the next three days. <laughs> so Hold on, I'm going to pause you for a second because coaches know this when your athlete returns to you in the gym. They've been in rehab, but it is not the same as, as sport conditioning unless they go to a very specific yes. return to sport rehab facility, which your general outpatient orthopedics, if that's the type of therapist they're seeing, is just going to release them when they're released from the doctor. Most people do not continue on for sport-specific training with an athletic trainer or with a physical therapist. They just come right back into your gym, and they're saying, oh, I'm good to go. So pause them. That's something you do as a coach, right? Like don't overtrain your athlete just because they're back in the gym and everyone else has been training and, and doing preseason or in-season drills. And now this athlete can come back. Take a moment, take a beat, make the athlete pause. So you can sideline them. You have the control to do that as a coach. Yes. And that's something that you didn't have being back as a club athlete. Um, <laughs> in an intramural athlete in college, like if you're not, if you're not playing for the school, you really don't have any support. Uh, outside of just your peers and yourself. 
Um, so that's a good point to kind of pause and say that, hey, if you are a coach, take the time to reintegrate the athlete slowly, check in with them frequently, and make sure that they're not having bad days, like Amit's talking about here. So, okay, so you had a couple bad days because you went whole hog, because that's the mentality of, of pretty much every athlete I know. Like, you mm -hmm. get in and you go, and you grind, and then you get out for the day, and you chill. <laughs> like, so what comes so next? It's Basically, I, I always liked, um, I had an apartment off campus, so I basically went to, uh, I don't think Amazon was like, or hugely popular at the time, so I went to Walmart. Don't age us, I mean, don't age us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We're not old, but I don't age us anymore. Like, I literally went to like a Target or a Walmart and bought myself cones so that I could do like basic sprinting drills and gradually work myself up. Or if there was a local, like if there was a local basketball court, like at my college that I could access when I knew nobody would be on it, then I had, and most of those basketball courts are like multifunction volleyball courts too, with lines drawn on them. I started with just like most, most athletes, when they come out of rehab, they've done running but we haven't necessarily put you on the specific surface of a volleyball court or basketball yeah. court or soccer field, whatever. And it's going to feel different. So setting myself up on those courts, or in my case, like I was on the field um, to basically run those specific break down those specific distances in my sprinting. Um, I just started with like for forward run, back pedal, forward run, back pedal. And um, that was that was how I started on the basically like the basketball court, just to have the specific lines for myself, even if I didn't want to go buy cones. Um, the other one that I set up was a, a a box drill. So you set up four cones on the ground, like maybe yeah, give yourself a little bit of running room. So like maybe ten to twenty feet, like depending like earlier in your face, ten feet. Keep it small because you're as you get tired your muscles are going to fatigue and they're going to start to do different things that you haven't necessarily trained for in your rehab so just starting to go like forward sprint to the first cone side shuffle back pedal side shuffle back to where you started and then change up the direction of maybe first you start forward and then the next time you start side shuffle and then even to start cutting diagonals in between them but the biggest thing is face the direction your knees are going when you first start out. So you don't want your body here and your knees facing that way. Like you are facing the direction that your knees go. Yes. Huge, huge comment there. That's another pause point because if you're an athlete or a coach listening to this, remember this when you're looking at your athletes, a good coaching tip when they're coming back into the gym is don't let their chest be pointed to the left and the knees pointed to the right. Right. Like, yep. Keep them in this, keep your hips and everything aligned. That's, that's just good advice, even if your athlete does not have a current injury right now, um, especially in the sport of volleyball. Like, you want to be squared up to the net, you want to be squared up to the ball. Same comment goes when you're just returning out of a play, is you want to make sure that you're not twisted all wonky or your athlete's not favoring that kind of movement. Um, definitely take some time and coach them out of that to help prevent unnecessary injury from kind of a wonky trunk twist that they're going on, if you can. Okay, so now Ami talked about these um, drills. She is gonna show them. The audio portion of this will not include the, the demo, but I will have the video posted up um, for everyone. I'll put a link in there for that, but she will include a couple of things just to slowly go through a demo so you can have a visual of this exercise as well um, in her home. So it's not, you don't need a ton of space. She's just gonna use the floor. Right, like it's yeah, just a little bit of stuff. I do find the biggest space in your home to play with, but yeah. Yeah, and but. if you're in a coach in the gym, know that you don't need to take up the whole floor to have the athlete working on these drills. Um, if they're coming in and just need to kind of be in the gym with everybody and reintroduce, but I want to put a caveat, a big asterisk to this: it's once they've been released to return to play by their surgeon and by their rehab team. So you, as a coach, you don't need to be thinking about this early on. Like they're released to play to you. Um, it's just how can you help reintegrate that athlete and make sure they're successful and not having bad flare-ups because they are going to happen. They've been out for six months, nine months, a year, depending on the type of graph and the, the way that their body heals. 
it really depends on each person's biology. So that's my asterisk point there for all the coaches and parents and athletes listening to this. Like you take your time and, and reintegrate slowly, really tap into yourself as an athlete and into your brain and, and slow your roll and know when you can push. And the only way you know how to do that is if you kind of try a little bit and, and reflect later on to say, Hey, I pushed myself too hard. I ran two miles on my first go round when I really probably should have kept it under a mile and I paid for it for days. You know, I would even suggest like break your, like break your athletes return down to play into like in, into four phases. So you have return to drills and then return to basically like team scrimmages, like within your own team and then return to like friendly games between like teams that you know etc and then return to tournaments like return to true like competitive play where like that higher where that like higher demand like that higher athletic demand is just present because it's a tougher team that should be one of the that should be one of their last phases of recovery not necessarily because they are not skillfully ready as much as they may not be mentally ready like it takes the best part of an athlete is is that majority of the time when they're going to do a lot of these movements or plays like it is so intrinsic within them and you want them to build both the both the mentality and the physicality to confidently return to that because that ability to like play 25% or play 75% don't tell your athletes to do that because then their muscles are not going to be firing like as they're supposed to be they're just supposed to be playing and when you tell an athlete to scale that back, it's going to change how they move and how they're thinking about things. Oh, that's, you, brought, you segued right into it without any cueing or anything. Like you were like, you got to my best point. Like, what do they say to these athletes that return that they're trying to put through these phases? Like, don't say only do 25%. I love that. Let them play, check in with them. So at this point in time that you're back, let's say you are with a coach, right? If you're in this point. What is something that people, your friends, your family, your teammates, your coaches could have said to you at this point in time when you're returning at the beginning of sport to keep you encouraged? Because you know you're not playing to your fullest ability. You already have to self-regulate. You're scared to step on, step onto the field, step into the court again. Like, you're nervous. There's no way you're not. You're excited. You're nervous. You're scared. Like, there's a fear component that has to come back to returning from this kind of injury, Right. Right. Like, bear in mind, most of these, like, most of these athletes have already heard, and I know I heard so many times, oh, this player got injured and she never came back the same. Don't tell them that. We already know it. <laughs> like, and sometimes, like, it, it's, it sucks to say, but sometimes we can see it when that athlete returns and we know it, that they're not playing the same. Don't tell me that. I already know it. <laughs> so simple things, like when I step onto the court, just, just even saying, like, you got this, Right. Or those typical, like those typical fate, like phrases that you would say to like cue your teammate to think about something. So sometimes soccer, it would be like square up, right? Or like things like, hey, turn, like play this, like just specific commands that you would generally yell at somebody when they're on the court, yell that so that they just get back into like the swing of things that and like a you got this when they're stepping up. That's, yeah. that's the biggest thing. You don't have to necessarily pull them aside after every time and be like, hey, how are you? And just giving them a, you got this. And then when they, tr- when they do a good job or when they do something where you're like, yes, like that's, that's the old, like that's what they're doing again, give them a, hey, good play. But don't overuse that good play because I know when I made a terrible play, don't compliment me on it. <laughs> like, right. Be- be honest about it, but just getting that feedback that, Hey, you're doing solid. Even if it's just once or twice, like once or twice, like a practice versus like every play is huge versus being like, versus not stating it at all. Yeah. I think that the team aspect, especially, especially in volleyball, because you very much are reliant on your teammates. um, And there's like a huddle after every single play, right? Like, good or bad, most teams come in for a huddle because your mentality can really shift the way in the favor of the game because it's pretty fast scoring that goes on um, with these games. Uh, rally scoring is very fast and it's like the, you can swing a couple points and there's your game. And then if you get down, you can bring your whole team down. And 
I think that's perfect to just say, treat them like you would all your athletes as a coach. <laughs> like don't, don't make them feel ostracized. Yes. Yeah. I like and that. It doesn't hurt to give them a little bit. Like one thing that I could definitely say for some players is don't, if you have the time, um, if you have the time, like see if there's specific drills or things where they don't feel as confident. So things where if you do have the time or if even some of their teammates have the time to drill stuff with them, say like, hey, how are you feeling about this? Because I know in soccer, like I would, I would either go to a field and practice by myself or I'd grab like a, I'd grab a friend and be like, hey, can I drill this with you? Because I wasn't feeling as confident about that, but sometimes facilitating that as a coach um, is huge too. Just make sure that like, don't necessarily check with them like every practice, because then of course I'm going to be worried about, oh God, am I'm I not, not gonna, like, I know I'm not going to be a starter, but like, do I really yeah. seem like much of, fail of a failure right now? But yeah. like touching base with them like every now and then just to see like where their head's at. Yeah. And I'm huge on putting that kind of crap back on the athlete. Like, you're an athlete, you know, if you have the coach right there and you're not confident in a drill, I, I think that the coach should just be able to come up to you and say, hey, listen, when you're not feeling confident or you feel like something's going on or you're having difficulty or pain with the drill, I need you to tell me because I have a whole gym full of athletes that I'm trying to watch for every one, and I know that you can do this. So whenever you have those moments where you feel like you're struggling, can you just say, hey, coach? in private, you know, before or after practice, hey coach, can you watch me doing this real quick? I just, it just feels wrong. Or I don't feel as confident. Like I'm huge on, on the coach saying to the athlete, I need you to do this, to take autonomy, to take responsibility for yourself as an athlete because no one else will. Especially as you get older, yep. right? Like oh, yeah. and that's when a lot of things are happening in high school, college, like nobody's going to take responsibility for you. You have to take responsibility for yourself. And that's another way that coaches have a big impact on athletes and, and people. Um, is saying, hey, like, this is your opportunity to take responsibility for yourself. I kind of, you know, coach them, like, rah, 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 like, hey, listen, you, this is a great opportunity for you. You're going to learn a lot as an athlete. You're going to learn a lot about yourself as an athlete right now. And I'm going to put one more thing on you. It says, let me know when you can't do something. Let me know when you're having trouble. Let me know. And I can help you. That is my role as a coach. If you don't tell me, I don't know. But, but then you also have to kind of check in as a coach, but give them that pep talk and kind of say, Hey, I'm going to treat you just like every other athlete in the gym. Yes. They are not like a special condition. Like, yeah, you're not a special, you're not a special condition. Like you're coming back in here. You're going to grind. I need 110% every day when you walk in and you put those shoes on or you put your cleats on or you put that uniform on, like, this is it. It's game time. I don't want anything else distracting you. This is it. Let's go. I need your full attention and your full devotion to our, to our game every single time you step into the weight room, every single time you step onto the court, like, and if you don't feel like you're doing great in one spot, you can come back and let me know and we can work on it. That's my role as coach. Yes. Two things to touch on in what you just said, because I think it was, it was huge. One, get them into the weight room because that strength and that, that strength and that uh, surgical leg, I mean, studies show that it's not going to be on par for like the next year minimum. So just to get them back into the weight room to build up that just general strength is huge. Yeah. Two, um, I, this one, this one just hit me, but I had one of my teammates tell me, uh, tell me, um, basically at one point that, I mean, don't let them, don't let them see that you're in pain. Cause I was like visibly bracing. I was like not comfortable. <laughs> and honestly, like coming back from an injury, that is probably one of the worst things that you could do is to not tell your coach or to not tell your teammates that you are in pain um, because you, you just had a surgery. Like things are yeah. going to be going a little bit different than before your surgery. So to compete through that sharp pain or stabbing pain, or mm, I don't think this just feels right figure it out, like, whether it be with your teammates, with your coach, whatever, but don't just keep that, don't just keep that to yourself, so teammates even, like, don't tell, don't tell your returning to com competition teammate, hide your pain, don't, don't hide your pain, you gotta tell somebody about it. Yeah, if you're experiencing pain like that, you need to talk, and things need to be scaled back, that's perfect to talk about, I think that's advice that a lot of uh, teammates give to other teammates, just 
they're trying to be helpful, right? Like, oh my God, a college recruiter might be watching you right now, or, or right. you know, there might be a recruiter over here, or, or you know, there's a chance that you might have to sit on the bench. Right. No, you, you probably need to be on the bench. Like, check yourself. Um, but yeah, as a teammate, or if you hear teammates saying this to this athlete, as a coach, you have you hear a lot more than the athletes realize. <laughs> so maybe you can pull. Um, your whole group a team together not single people out because that's really hard on any athlete um, of a younger age right high school you're already insecure about a lot of things um, you might be you, there's a lot of bullying that goes on even within a team like teasing and bullying you don't know what somebody's going through like address it as, to the whole team so nobody's singled out um, yes. I think that's that's good advice too to say hey don't be singling people out with this kind of stuff unless and if you do single them out don't do it at the end of practice like Hey, Amy, I need you to see me after practice today. What? Nothing makes the pitfall of an athlete's stomach those uh, words at the end of a practice. Or, and, and you're in front of all your teammates because now they're going to be like, oh my God, I wonder, I wonder. They're going to be gossiping like crazy, especially right. girls. But don't let bullies fool you. They gossip like that too. So, but I, girls are ruthless. Like we attack each other. Teenage on girls can be level. nasty. Yeah. yeah. Teenage <laughs> girls get at each other on an emotional level. We're not yeah. too physical with each other, but we like, tear you apart from the inside out. It's part of our nature, I guess, as teenage girls. And I do not encourage that. Like, you do everything you can to not encourage that in your team, um, that emotional nitpicking that goes on. Like, try to keep champion, 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 because I, it happens regardless. Like, it's going to happen on your team at some point in time. If you're a coach, I know, if you've been coaching for more than a year, I know you have seen this and, and had struggles within your team dynamic with that, especially working with high school age girls or middle school age girls. I mean, they're brutal. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's another little asterisk point. Like, whoo we do not just do that. Um, yeah. There's a saying like, guys are like, guys are nasty. Girls are just, or guys are aggressive. Girls are just mean. Yeah, and at that age, like, yeah. <laughs> that's true. All right, so let's fast forward in time. Now you've come back, you've done some rehab, you're playing sport again, and you have this incident. You're older, you've grown, you've mentally changed, right? You've gone from high school to college. You were at home with parents, now you're living on your own. You're in, like, you're in a professional program, you're working towards a goal, you have this ACL injury again. You already told that it, it, the, your circumstance had changed, so your graft choice changed, to be a cadaver because you needed quicker healing time to complete your doctorate program. So you needed to be able to go to clinical. So that was a huge driving factor, I'm sure, to your choice of graft. Yes. And so let's talk about mentally what you're, where you're at. I was there for part of that. I, I, from an outsider, you know, had a chance to see kind of that, but you're pretty good at hiding things. So what was your teenage athletes or young people? <laughs> right, like you're pretty good at most women are pretty good at writing <laughs> stuff. Uh, so let's say, where was your head at when that happened? Like, what you can be vulgar if you need to. Like, I would have to be. You know me. I would drop an f bomb if I was if I if you know me, I absolutely be flying. So, <laughs> so where were you? So my mentality at that point was just, especially in, in what I was doing for the physical therapy program, like all I was doing was school and studying. And so for my program was six years, it was like year five. And basically I was in the mentality of year six is just clinical rotations. This happens in year five. And all I can think is, holy crap, these people that I've been going through these past five years of misery with for this goal, I'm not even going to be able to graduate with them potentially. So that's, that's what, that's probably what hit me the hardest. And that's probably not probably, that is why I chose the allograft in coming out of my surgery. However, um, that being said, like now looking back at it, I asked the wrong questions at the time. Uh, I asked, will I be able to complete my clinicals and will I have an ACL? Not, will I return to play? Mm. And to an orthopedic surgeon who, like most of them are beyond brilliant, right? There's a reason that they are orthopedic surgeons, but they do not think on that personal level. So yeah. don't be afraid to ask those hard questions that you don't really want to ask. You need to know the answers, 
rather than figuring them out when you've already had the surgery. Write them down and ask questions. Yep, text it, type it into you have notes on your smartphone and you all bring your phones with you to doctor's appointments. That's like the one thing that does not get left at home aside from your keys. Like right. type it into the notes on your phone. So that way if that doctor hits you with something you're not expecting during the appointment, like you, you can be like, okay, that's nice. <laughs> you still pull up your list and you're like, I'll come back to that part mentally later. Answer these ones. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So you didn't ask the right questions for you. And you're kind I didn't. of feeling, I asked, yeah. Ugh. Right. Like, right. You're overwhelmed. I would be, I mean, I can only imagine. I know what most of the patients that come to me for ACL repair, even once they've had the repair, they hit rehab and they're just overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, Use your therapist as like a resource too. some like, in a large majority of cases, or not, not even, it's not even to say large majority, but we've had experience with different athletes over the years. So if you want to ask those questions for us, like in our, in basically like, what graft would you choose? What, whatever, like, ask us those questions. You don't have to sit there with Google and try to determine like, which one is the best yeah, source. I'm right. going to tell you right now, don't sit there with Google. <laughs> if you have an, if you're a coach and you're listening to this, if you're a parent, you're listening to this and you have an athlete that's going through this, please, I offer free service. I offer free consultations all the time on my website. If you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I just need a quick response, please do not hesitate to reach out to me as a rehab specialist. I am more than happy to answer your questions by email. We can chat on the phone. We can do a Zoom meeting, whatever you're comfortable with. Like, I am very happy to answer those questions. Um, I know me is likely the same way. Like, a rehab yeah. specialist, like, we're all very open to answering your questions. Um, and helping you out because that's why we got into this. So I'm putting a caveat there. Like, don't be afraid to reach out to a, a physical therapist, um, a sports chiropractor, an athletic trainer that you know and trust. Like, you're, we're here for you guys. Like, that's, that's part of a big part of our job. And none of us think it's a burden to help you through this process because we know it's hard. So that's Most I'm going to put times, a caveat yeah. there. Yeah, because yeah, most of the times I'll throw that information out like irregardless because I'm sure like majority of them are thinking about it, but mm -hmm. they don't think to vocalize that question because they don't know that we can necessarily like play a role in helping yeah. them with that type of stuff. For sure. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push it forward to you had your first repair, you're going for your second repair. What are things friends, family, and coaches could have said to really encourage you for that second repair? Now um, things are different, right? Like time yeah. is different. You also have to think about professionalism, not just me as an athlete. It's me as a whole person. So, and you just got this news that you're never going to play soccer again. Your identity. So I wasn't gonna, told that. I wasn't told, told that. that. No. So that's why I said I asked the wrong questions. Oh um, my God. That's why I said I asked the wrong questions for my, for my orthopedic surgeon. You um, found that out on your own. Yeah. When they went in oh, to good. test my ACL graft, like they do this test to test. It's basically like strength once you've had the surgery. And he, uh, he did the test and then he, and I'd had the surgery like three or four weeks ago. He did the test and then he asked me, so when's your surgery scheduled for? Like it just dropped out of my stomach. I was like, oh my God. I had it. What do you mean? <laughs> oh my God. So that was how, that was how I find it. That's why I put that plug in the, like the beginning. If you want to return to play, especially if it's your second repair or even your first repair. Like it is still like if the process is going to be a little bit longer for that second graft or for that second surgery, still, still do it. And your big question should be not like, will the surgery be a success? Like, yes, they're an orthopedic surgeon. Of course, it's going to be a success overall. They're going yeah, to give to them, them, to them like, it, yeah. right. But you need to ask, will I be able to return to competitive insert sport so competitive volleyball yeah like ask that question verbatim because i am 90 percent sure that if i'd asked that question the doctor would have given a response of we'll see which most of us know that when a doctor says we'll see we're like well that's relatively non-committal <laughs> yeah that's probably a no <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay so now you found that out where what, what, I mean, what kind of emotions are you feeling? I know you remember because it's dramatic. So like, what kind of stuff are you feeling? What are you thinking about? And, and what was, let's say this, let's name two things that were very discouraging for you, right? Like two things that went on in your life that stand out to you still that you're like, God, that just really got me down. And maybe a couple things that you're like, I wish somebody would have said this to me. 
and maybe one or two things that you remember someone said or did for you that you were like, that was life, like, that just touched me so much, so I'll, I'll never forget that moment. So, I, part of it, um, trying to think, trying to think back to it, because if I'm being, like, if I'm being brutally honest, I try not to focus too much on that time, just because there's not a ton of positive feelings that came out of this. I more look at like what I've accomplished since then, because during that time, it's nothing but like frustration, grind, and be like, all right, if I can't get back to soccer, like what do I, what do I still want out of myself? And I think for me, it was probably, I can't remember if it was my best friend at the time or if it was my mom just being like, I mean, you're an athlete. Like you, you got that athlete mentality just because you can't play soccer doesn't make you less of an athlete. You are still competitive. You are still strong spirited. You got this. Just do your rehab, get that leg as best as you can. You know your stuff, get it done and then see, see what happens at the end of it. And that's, that's the big thing. Like just take it one day at a time. Um, Cause I didn't realize that I didn't really like fully accept that I wouldn't be able to play sports again until one of the things as a competitive soccer player is that if you can't kick with both feet, like, eh, like you're, you're not perceived as worthless, but you're not considered as strong of a player. So for me, just to be able to go up and like take that smack basically with that right leg or that left leg was huge. And I was right footed, but I had the surgery on my left leg. So going up to take that kick with my left leg, like I didn't fully realize that it wasn't normal until like, it didn't like truly hit me until I took that kick. And I was like, I could just feel this like, wrench and I was like hmm that's not normal cool um but basically if it like I said it was just my my mom and my like my parents my friends like saying all right you can't come back to this but like you are still so so strong as yourself yeah and just because you are not a soccer player does not make you any less of a human being or any less of a version of yourself uh. Than what you want it to be. Ah, that's so, look, I got goose pimples right now, Melody. (laughs) That (laughs) statement just gave me some, like, that gave me some serious goosies. You are not any less of yourself. You could say that as a coach, knowing that this player is never coming back to you, because they, they, they were, you were their role model forever. I think, I mean, I wish my coach would have said that to me whenever I had a career-ending injury myself, so, like, that would have been huge. Like, uh, you are not any less of yourself. Like you identify as this, guess what? You're still you. Ah, I'm not, I gotta get rid of these two temples. That's good. <laughs> like, oh goodness gracious. Okay. So now what is something that if, that you would, that you give as advice in, in hindsight, like if you were to come across someone who's having this dilemma, what would you say besides that? Like you're not any less yourself. What else would you say to them? Anything? Like they can't return to their, they can't yeah. return to their original sport. Yeah. They're not going to be able to return to their original sport. Something that they truly identify as a player of like you were a soccer player. Like you truly identified as that. What do you say now? So this is where, like, this is where having that relationship with them is really important. Um, and to make sure that you fostered that. So you're there for them, like throughout that part of their recovery, et cetera. So you're not just like jumping in and they're like, Hey, that would have been nice if you'd like told me that, you know, like earlier on. But, um, the biggest thing is just to, the basic thing, the biggest thing is just to sit down. And like I said, tell your athlete, tell your whatever, like you are no less, like you are no less of a person. We think of you no less because you cannot do this but it is important for you to also figure out kind of and this won't be an easy process this won't happen right away but figure out what you want to do from here and let me know so that i can help you in whatever way possible so for me it was recognizing i couldn't go back to soccer so all right maybe i wanted to go like i took up distance running for for like short time, but I took up distance running. I got into, I got into lifting because I basically like find the biggest thing is you have this passion that no longer has that outlet. So you want to find a potential, like a different outlet for your passion. So that way you can still like 
kind of encourage them towards whatever passion they may choose. And it may and, change, right? You know, this exactly. year you're trying distance running. Next year you might try weightlifting or whatever. This this couple of months you're going to try it and see how you feel with it. And does it fuel your passion? Is it a good outlet for you? Um, but yeah, you had to kind of trial and error. What else you enjoyed? But just to let them know that it's normal, that it's normal if you don't figure that out, like in the next, like if you don't figure this out in the next week, it is not the end of the world. I know it seems like the end of the world right now, but how long have, how long did it take you to build up your passion in volleyball, soccer? It's going to take that to, right now. You're starting from, you're starting from whatever square. Yeah. It's going to take some time to build up the passion for the other one, but be patient with it. Be dedicated to it and ask yeah. questions along the way and let us help you however we can on your journey. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, this has been great. I think being able to, for you to share your story with us, thank you for one, sharing some of these insights, because I know it's deeply personal um, to have this. And it's been some time since you've had that. So um, it still doesn't get easier sometimes to talk about it. So thank you for, yeah. for sharing and being open to coming on and sharing and, and sharing some of your knowledge from two perspectives, right? Like you, you are a doctor of physical therapy. You have a rehab perspective that's ingrained because you've studied it countless hours now. You've been practicing it for eight years. You went to school for six years before. Like it's ingrained in you to have that, but you also have a very strong athletic mentality. So combining the two, I think we get a little bit of the best of both worlds of, of what athletes see and go through to, to stay in sport. Um, so thank you. That was, I mean, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I still have goose pimples from earlier. Like they haven't gone away yet. <laughs> I'm just reflecting in the moment right now in my brain. Like I can't stop it. So those were those were easy questions. Those were really good questions. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's something that as a coach, you need to hear these things and you need to have perspectives because if you've never had that experience, you don't know. Um, and you may even play certain parts of this to your team because they if they haven't had that experience yet. I mean, there's a couple of little highlights here, a couple minute highlights that you could just pull out and say, hey, we're just going to listen to this and then we're going to talk about it a minute before we start. While you're doing stretching or foam rolling or whatever you're doing to the beginning to get started with your practice, right? Like get that mentality kind of driven, especially if you have an athlete on your team that's coming back from injury. You can prep your team for how to encourage them once they return, just from a few snippets of this podcast um, to really get them thinking because that is a huge part of your team as well as your teammates mentality when you return the coach's mentality once you return you're worried as an athlete coming back from injury like you are worried about how you're going to be accepted back into your team um, mm -hmm. your role may be changed so i think there's a couple of snippets from your talking that can really drive a conversation within teams so thank you for that all right so that's the end of our audio portion of our podcast and me is going to be graceful <laughs> and, and so graciously give us a demo of a couple of those exercises that she talked about earlier so now we get to the fun part if you're watching this on video before it's just a bunch of talking heads and now it's like yes here's some cool demonstration stuff so Ami is going to go through some cone drills and a box drill and talk about a box jump right a box jump and then like landing a box jump and I'll show some line like some line drills as well so if you don't have equipment you can just literally take some like athletic tape that is that's cool to put down on your gym floor that doesn't leave the adhesive when you pull it off yeah. to uh, lay this down or I know like I I even in my in my college apartment uh in my college apartment I just took masking tape and created an agility ladder on my floor yeah like yeah so yep you can create a ladder if you don't have equipment it's okay you can use the lines of your gym yep use um you can use adhesive friendly tape or you can use and you can use cones even i've created agility ladders with cones like just a visual for people in the clinic because one of the clinics i worked at we didn't have an agility ladder um at all and i'm working with athletes and i'm like uh okay cool can you just purchase this 11 dollars piece of equipment for a clinic that we see 30 athletes a day in <laughs> that would be nice that'd be nice but no, so I used cones because we couldn't put adhesive on the floor, a whole thing. So you can you can get creative um, with cones and, and just lines on the floor already. Yep. All right, and so are you ready? Amazon has some agility ladders for cheap, and you can also, yeah, yeah. like, check those out. Like, yeah. they're not built to take a beating, but they'll serve their purpose. Right.
All right, that concludes our episode on the ACL with Dr. Ami. She is awesome. She really gives some great insight throughout there and some little nuggets about mindset and how your mindset has to shift and what you can do as a teammate, a coach, a parent, a friend to really help that person through this hard time. Um, there is a video component associated with this podcast. It goes through some jump training, some line drills, some cone drills that Ami demonstrates for you. And if you would like to watch that, which I highly recommend you do, you can find it under the info description of this podcast. Just click on the link and it'll take you right to all the video bonus features that we have associated with this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed and really took the time to listen to this full episode. I know it's a little bit long, but there was a lot of nuggets in there. A lot of golden little nuggets of information that you can take along as a coach to really help your team, you know, come together after injuries. All right. Well, thank you again for listening. Really appreciate you. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe. Every Sunday, we drop new episodes on whatever topics you want. If you'd like to hear something special, you're really curious about something, please feel free to reach out to me at my email address or there's a voice message um component on the podcast as well that you can leave me a voice message straight to the podcast if you want or you can reach out to me on social media um, calibrated.pt on instagram or calibrated physical therapy plc on our facebook page please feel free to hit us up on our website as well we have a live chat box on our website which you'll see it whenever you go to the bonus features have a great day and thank you again for listening